Ladies and gentlemen, fellow leaders, people everywhere, hello and welcome to another episode of the Rooted Leadership Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Panetta. We are downtown in studio, Salem, Oregon, home to Groundwork, a leadership institute, which we started over a year ago. And the goal was to raise the tide of leaders in our community. And we really are trying to build leaders from the ground up. We don't claim to have all the information or the knowledge. We love calling ourselves an institute because it motivates us and pushes us to continue to seek more knowledge and more information and learn as much as we can. That's one of the reasons why we decided to start this podcast, to just start to house information and knowledge from very intelligent, capable leaders, not just in our community, but outside of it. So before I introduce our episode for today, I want to give a few acknowledgements and shout outs. If you've been watching the news, Oregon has been blasted with fires, real fires that have burned down some of our communities. People have lost their lives, their homes, their businesses. It's been tragic at every level. And I just want to personally say that my heart and prayers go out to any individuals or families who've been impacted personally by the fires, as well as give a shout out to the communities and the people all around the state that have come together to support these individuals, to support these communities. It's truly been amazing. It's some of the best parts of our soil when our communities and people can come together like this. So with that, I want to introduce our guest today. Okay, and before he comes with us, well, before he comes into the room, he's actually going to be live in studio today, which is exciting. Uh, he's going to be in here with us. Uh, I want to give a couple of thoughts that I have of this individual. He means a lot to me. He's a great friend. He's, he's a friend before he's anything else to me. And I truly am grateful for his friendship. He's one of the reasons, the key reasons why I moved up here to Salem um, and what got my family up here. He was instrumental in that whole process. So I owe a lot to him and I'll probably reiterate that once we have him here. Uh, Salam is also going to be joining us. So that's the basic info of who he is. He's a business leader, leads a company here in the community. He's a leader in his church. He's fantastic. Uh, and our guest is Brian Moore. Again, we're going to welcome Salam and Brian here in a moment. Thank you for joining. All right. So we have uh, Brian and Salam with us now in studio. Uh, again, grateful for both of them being here. And, and any listeners, I know you've, you've heard from Salam quite a bit. But uh, it's awesome for me to have, have Brian in here. Like I mentioned in, the, in his intro, he's a friend first to me. And so I appreciate his friendship. Um, and his leadership in our community. And, you know, I mentioned that he is an integral part of me even being in Salem and doing what I'm doing now. And I appreciate him greatly for that. But Brian, go ahead and, uh, and introduce yourself a little bit more, if you will. Well, I'm, uh, I'm Chris's friend, <laughs> first and <laughs> foremost. Um, I'm honored to be called that by you, Chris. Um, and, uh, I'm, I just want to say thanks for the opportunity. I've listened to a few of these and, um, I love what you're doing and I've, I've really appreciated what I've learned from your other guests. I uh, hope to contribute to that. Um, about me, I'm the CEO of a, of a company here in Salem called Neighborly Ventures. Uh, we develop and operate and do a little construction, uh, of multifamily housing. And uh, I was born and raised in Corvallis, Oregon, about 45 minutes away. Uh, went to BYU and did a, a mission in Italy. So I lived there a couple of years. Fantastic experience. Uh, came to law school uh, after undergrad 
um, here in Salem at Willamette University and uh, began practicing law for a firm here doing real estate and land use. Uh, worked with some amazing people at a firm uh, called Sawfield Griggs, and, and they remain great friends, uh, were great mentors. And during that process, um, represented uh, Mountain West Investment Corporation, which you're now a part of, and became close friends with Larry and Jason Tukarski and equally wonderful mentors, and uh, ended up joining them about 10 years ago, uh, doing real estate development and um, getting a chance to dabble a little bit in their philanthropy, which was just always an, uh, an absolute honor. Um, they've done some remarkable things and continue to do so, including this and you guys. And uh, we ultimately had developed a good number of uh, multifamily housing properties. And so they started a property management company called Helio Management three or four years ago. Last year, about this time, we ended up merging uh, the development entity of Mountain West and the property management arm of, of Helio. And, uh, and that became Neighborly Ventures. And so now uh, I lead that organization. And what I didn't mention is the role of um, seeing people, seeing people deeply, um, or AKA outward mindset uh, mm-hmm. played a, a really pivotal role in, in that whole story I just told, but yeah. I'm sure we'll get into that. Yeah. And in previous episodes, we've talked quite a bit about the role and importance of outward mindset in our community and, and what we're doing and, and in groundwork. But I think that your, your story of, uh, you know, getting to know the outward mindset material beyond the books is a really integral piece to it because, you know, like I, I said, just for me, it, it was integral in me coming here, but I think that your participation um, in the genesis of all of that is, is really integral in us doing what we're doing now. And so I'm curious if you'd be willing to share a little bit, uh, about that, a little bit more about that and kind of, you know, how, maybe how we first met and, and how it started with a simple, Hey, let's just, you know, we like this, this, uh, we, we love outward mindset and we like the books. Well, let's go to a training and, and just how it built and grew from there to the point to where, you know, thousands of people in our community know what outward mindset has been through a training and all these other things going on. I think it started with a really small seed, if you will. Sure. Um, and, and it did. And, and, um, Jason Tokarski, who's a dear friend of mine and a principal at Mountain West Investment Corporation before I became a part of it, uh, about, I don't know, it was probably three years before, uh, I joined Mountain West while I was representing them. He said, Hey, I, I read this book that I, I think, I think would resonate with you. And so he gave me the book Leadership and Self-Deception. And um, I read it and he was absolutely right. It, it absolutely resonated. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't mention in my bio, but probably the most important part of me that somebody could know is um, that I'm also a father and I'm a husband. And uh, I have six kids with my wife. She's my, she's my best friend. And we live here in Salem, and um, the material resonated with me so much, not just because of what I felt like it could do to improve the effectiveness of my work professionally, but just as powerfully could change the way I live at mm-hmm. home. And, and also um, uh, my relationship, my personal relationship with, with Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ are deeply important to me, and 
um, also in the way that I, I serve God's children or everybody mm-hmm. on earth. It, it just, it just felt like it was universally applicable and could so improve, um, the way I live. Um, anyway, so yes, it, it resonated with me. And, uh, but at that point it was just a book that taught me some great principles. And when I joined Mountain West, um, of course, Jason and I were both really committed to the principles and decided, mm-hmm. well, we're going to, we're a small company, but we're going to live by this stuff where it's going to be part of our culture. So we read that we read the anatomy of peace and, um, and we did it two or three times. Uh, anytime somebody new would come on, we'd read it. And so it just became a part of the principles became a part of our culture, but really we didn't know anything about the Arbinger Institute. Yeah. Uh, the authors of the, of the book, um, about three or four years ago, uh, somebody in our office said, Hey, did you know that they, they do these, these workshops on, on this material? No clue. Oh, no, let's go. Uh, so Jason and I went and, um, the, the material was, uh, amplified dramatically for us. And I had, um, I had a a couple of really important things happen on that trip. Um, one, uh, I got, it's tough. I I can't get into all the details because it's, it's more than, than we would have time for, but I'll just say I had an, there's a, there's a collusion, uh, diagram experience. And if you've been through any of this, you you know what I'm talking about, Mm -hmm. but, um, I chose my daughter as, as the focus of, uh, of this relationship assessment, we'll say. Yeah. And, um, I happened to be sitting next to a, a young woman, probably in her early twenties. And, um, as a part of this exercise, you write down um, some of your own behaviors in this relationship. Yeah. And you cover up everything else. So all this person sees, this stranger to you sitting next to me, sees is my behaviors. And then they write down what they might feel if, if all they saw were the behaviors I had listed of myself. They write down what they would feel. Yeah. And, um, and fortunately, this was a young person. A, a fairly young person who would ac- accurately represent my daughter. <laughs> and what she wrote down was um, terrifying to me. Uh, not, not that, you know, it, there was anything abusive going on, but, but I could see through her eyes what my daughter was getting from me. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, like a light bulb, I saw why she does what she does. And, um, that the problem wasn't her, it was me. And that was, that was transformative. And I've been spending years, uh, trying to reverse some of, some of my own mindset and behaviors as a result. Um, so that was a, that was a really huge turning point for me personally. The other one was I met Chris Panetta (laughs) on that trip. And, uh, and, and, uh, I could tell he was somebody I would like to be associated with. Um, and, um, Jason and I on the, on the flight coming home from that trip, um, felt tremendously that somehow we've got to bring outward mindset to our community Mm -hmm. somehow. And, and we had the great benefit of working for an organization and a very generous man and Larry Tokarski that could make that happen. Yeah. You know, we've, uh, uh, we've recapped that in, in, in previous episodes, but it's just, it's really fun to hear it from from uh, another source that was directly involved. And you said something in the conversation before we started recording of how, you know, 
ordinary people, you know, I look at you and you're not ordinary to me yet. You know, I look up to you and admire you, but ordinary people can accomplish, you know, extraordinary things, uh, you know, when, and, and, and I would love for you to answer when, you know, ordinary people can, can, can accomplish extraordinary things when, and then I'd love to hear your thoughts on, on that and on what went into it, because it probably felt like, it felt like ordinary days for you and and, uh, ordinary conversations, but it's turned into, to all of this. And so I'm just curious to hear uh, a little more about that. It's uh, to, to answer that question. Um, I cannot ignore um, the role of my faith mm. um, in that something that brings me a tremendous amount of my of joy in my life is, is listening to the, to the promptings or impressions that I get in my soul. And um, I think people people of all walks of life, religious or spiritual or not have those things. Mm-hmm. Um, I recognize for me, the source is, is my, my God. And, and, um, I try really hard to, to hear him. Yeah. And, and I find that I'm a much better version of me when I pay close attention to and follow those impressions yeah. and, and directions. And, and that the people around me are better served by that mm-hmm. version of Brian. Um, and, and so a lot of that happened as a result of just listening for those, those little impressions and then, and then making sure that I act on them. Um, and, I, and I really believe that many people get those kinds of senses mm-hmm. and it's, and it's a, a really important thing to follow them when you get them. And I really don't fancy myself as a, as a visionary or, um, the big idea guy. And so the fact that things are where they are today in terms of how many people in this community have benefited from the principles of seeing people, including students in the high schools, as, Mm -hmm. as you've (laughs) highlighted on this program previously, um, isn't the result of, of two guys, Jason and Brian being, you know, really incredible, great, philanthropists and business leaders as much as it is a function of just honoring um, impressions that Mm -hmm. for us, we recognize as having come from God. And then, and then, and then really being true to the, to the principles of seeing others. Um, We're, we got a long ways to go. I'll speak for myself only. I got a long ways to go on that. And I, and I, I expect, and I'm grateful for the fact that that's going to be a lifelong endeavor. Um, But in the meantime, I'm, I can say, I'm really committed to it. <laughs> and uh, interestingly, that has uh, that that has that has brought a lot of joy in my life. It's also been really hard. If you're committed to seeing people, um, maybe this is why Chad Ford calls it dangerous love um, is is because it's hard and it can be painful to invest in people like that. Yeah. Does that answer Certainly. your question, Chris? Yeah, no, I think that. I think that, you know, a couple of things that I, that stuck out to me uh, that's important for, uh, you know, any leader, um, is there's, you know, there for you, it was God and, and there's a divine there, but leaders need to have some sort of idealistic goal or something that's driving them. That's beyond their role as a leader, um, that they are accountable towards or respond to, um, to, in order to make things happen like what's happened here i can't imagine being a leader and not having 
um, something that is a guiding, that's a compass for me to, to, to point me on the right path and, and give me those subtle promptings or gut feelings, uh, you know, to, to do or act on something when it's, when it's in front of us. Uh, cause we just never know what will happen. And I can't, again, I can't imagine not having that. So I think that you pointing that out is really important for any leader to, to understand, to be in tune with, whether you believe in God or not, there's, there's something that's going to be, uh, you know, nudging you and to be in tune with that is important. Um, because sometimes that isn't always logical. It doesn't make sense. It's not comfortable because it, like you mentioned with, with the idea of dangerous love, sometimes it's going to cause us to do something that we're not completely comfortable with, or that might seem hard or difficult or dangerous, you know, metaphorically, not, not saying go and put your life in danger in any way, but you know, this idea of, of being vulnerable and, and being a tool to, 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 to benefit, um, you know, others is, it's not an easy, it's not an easy path to, to take sometimes. And, and so I, I, that's what I was hearing when you were, when you were, um, sharing that. I'm just really delighted to be able to join this conversation. And, uh, I am grateful that you acted on that sense. I am grateful that you followed your heart and saw the value in something and you brought it here, both the outward mindset, developing and implementing an an outward mindset and bringing Chris to us as well. So I, I really appreciate that. Um, I'm, I'm really just curious about how leadership is enhanced by having that way of looking at things, by having that perspective. And I want to bring in our groundwork and our, our rooted leadership framework, which is really, I want to say, founded on this outward mindset, on this outward um, outlook, if you will, that we have towards others, towards our families, towards our work, our coworkers, and everything, everything that we do. Can you talk a little bit about how, and, and I want to compliment you, first of all, by um, you are the IOM. You are, you know, and I, I call it not just developing, it's doing and implementing an outward mindset. You embody that, you represent that, you model that. And I've seen evidence of that in every setting and every opportunity that uh, I happen to be with you uh, in, which is really tremendous because quite often we get exposed to ideas, we internalize them, we intellectualize them, but we don't really practice them to the fullest extent. And when I think of you and, and Jason and Chris, and I'm grateful to have received that training because it is something that I have to practice and get better at all the time. But I have this voice in the back of my head that's reminding me to be outward. And I think that's a tremendous gift that I've been given and you've given all of us. So I'm really curious now about uh, this rooted leadership framework, what we call Groundwork, our leadership institute, that is founded on these principles of seeing people, being accountable. But this analogy of soil, seeds, and weeds, can you talk a little bit about how you are implementing or how you think about that framework in relationship to your work, uh, your family, and everything that you do based on this notion of being outward all the time? For the sake of some context, I'll just say what, what soil, seeds, and weeds looks like to me. Um, soil uh, is is how we see people. Um, are they people to us and deeply seeing them going from not, um, not doing negative behaviors to people. It's one thing to say, I, I don't hate, (laughs) um, which means I don't do negative things to people. 
Um, but I'm much more interested in going well beyond that neutral position to a, I really actually love people and, and I see them. And because I see them, I'm going to try to change my, adjust my efforts toward them to improve results to not, not just because of a warm, fuzzy desire to be kind, but because I actually believe the way we see each other will impact the effectiveness of our work and the results that we achieve together. And then, by the way, as a result, also, will both, both of us, you as the recipient of my outward mindset, if I'm doing it right, and me as the giver, we're going to experience greater joy in our life. I, I genuinely believe that on top of the fact that we'll accomplish more. So that's, that's soil. And then, and then seeds are, once we, we know we have that kind of fertile ground to work with, seeds are the things we can put in there to accomplish things more. Um, tools, uh, management tools, leadership tools, I'll say, um, that can leverage that kind of outward m- mindset, that kind of soil. And then, but the truth is, no matter how good uh, your soil is, no matter how good your seeds are, um, you're, you're going to have weeds. Um, mm-hmm. if my experience in my, uh, soil at home is any, <laughs> is any indication weeds happen. And, um, and I view that as conflict. Um, and therefore you've got to be prepared to address the roots of conflict, not just pull it like the dandelion from the top, mm-hmm. but there's still a root there that is the real problem. So that's my, that's how I see soil seeds and weeds. And one of my frustrations growing up in this world, meaning as an adult is there is a plethora of seeds. Uh, there are, I don't know how many there are, but thousands I'm guessing of books and literature on how to be a good manager, how to be a good leader, how to, how to run a business well. For me, I've, I've experienced trying to change the seed regularly and, and hoping for different results by just changing the seed. Um, and what I encountered is that any one of those seeds, that, that great leadership book, that great organizational behavior model, um, may in fact be a really good seed. But if the soil in the organization is uh, really hard and compact and isn't going to receive seeds well, it really doesn't matter. You could try a hundred seeds and without well-cultivated soil, nothing will work. Or you, you may get short-term gains, but that's all it'll be. Um, so I, I, you know, I've, I've heard it called management flavor of the month. I'm really <laughs> desiring as a leader to not do management flavor yeah. of the month. So how do we lead with intentionality and purpose and focus, if you will, in a, in a rooted leadership framework and pay attention to the soil while being cognizant of the fact that you have seeds that you planted or just that are growing and turning into weeds, perhaps? So how does that guide your leadership in the context that you operate in? That's a, that's a great question. The first thought that comes to mind, Salam, is that you've got to decide that, that this, um, this thing, this principle is, is going to guide you personally. Um, I think it's difficult to expect something of the people you lead that you're not committed to yourself. And then, um, 
and then, but you can't expect that just because you've made that commitment personally, others are going to automatically follow. And I've made that mistake on multiple occasions. Um, and so you've got to put systems in place that ensure a continual commitment, not just by you. I mean, that system better keep you accountable as a leader, but it also better help others become leaders with the same mindset as well. Um, and then repetitious teaching. Uh, if, if you don't stay on message, um, I think lots of good ideas end up not sprouting because you don't stay committed to the principle that you started with. You know, you're highlighting a lot of um, really uh, important things, I, I, you know, I, th I think in leadership. And the first thing I, I heard before was there's a lot of flavors of the month. There's a lot of books out there. There's a lot of things to do, right things to do, but there's the wrong way to do them. And, uh, and so we can be guilty of doing the right thing the wrong way. And what that looks like with our analogy is we're just planting great seeds, seeds that have proven successful perhaps in other soil that has been cultivated and ready, but maybe not in our own. And so if we're not in tune to soil, you know, in our families, in our organization, in our community, then we, we can't expect those to grow. And, you know, and then you're talking about something else that's really important, um, uh, just with what you just barely said was that it starts with us. There's got to be a personal commitment to this. And we almost have to take it personally. It has to have a, a, an impact on us before we could ever expect it to have an impact on others. It's really easy to actually look out in the community now and in our country now with all that's going on with pandemic, with uh, racial tension, I mean, with you name it. And it's really easy to say, oh, yeah, the soil there isn't healthy. You know, or, oh, yeah, that's pretty clear. Uh, you know, things aren't, uh, aren't healthy there. Things aren't going well there. But nothing really changes unless we have that conversation with ourselves first. Uh, and so that was another thing that I heard with what you, you were expressing. And I think all of those components are, are very important. And I want to, you know, you introduced yourself again, but I want to, I want to bring this up again, not to, to toot your horn, but because I think, what you're sharing is coming from experience that is, is, is real. And you see this every day. You are the CEO of a, of a company, you know, here in town and you have, I don't know how many employees total, What is uh, it? around 70, 70 and, and growing. It's only going to go higher. And there's a dynamic there because there's a corporate and then on-site individuals out at your properties. So there, I know that's a dynamic that, that adds to, to, you know, the, to the equation, um, in your work life. And, you're also a leader in your church, where you oversee an entire sort of region um, from Sal West Salem all the way out to the coast, and that's a heavy job. And then, you know, you're in your family. So as you're sharing these insights and thoughts, uh, it just speaks to me that you're not sharing them uh, because they sound good or because you uh, they're the right things to say. It's because you've lived them and you've experienced it, uh, and you ex and you do experience it on a day to day. So I I just want to point that out that you know, this is lived experience for you. Uh, yeah, I, Chris, you and I have talked about this, uh, offline personally, a fair amount. And, you know, when people ask a question like, and I don't get this all the time, but they may ask a question like, how do you, how do you balance all of that? 
I, I, my, my first response tends to be, well, I think you're assuming I do it well. <laughs> and I'm not prepared to, to draw that conclusion necessarily. Um, but uh, I'm not sure what part of that you want me to address, Chris. But uh, <laughs> well, I said before when we were talk when we were just prepping for this, you've told me on you know several occasions that you feel like you don't do it well. But I I always think, well, you look like you're doing it well. <laughs> so there's something that you're doing that that is uh, that's working because you know things aren't falling apart in those areas. At least from my knowledge, I mean they're they're functioning and they're moving along and 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 not just getting by. I mean, you have a great family who I know and, and love. And, and I know that your organization has their struggles, but obviously things are, you're getting through obviously things like the pandemic and thriving and especially being a brand new uh, entity. And, and of course, you know, things uh, on the religious side in your church, I'm sure there's challenges, but they're moving forward in, in positive ways. So you may not feel you're doing it well, but it looks like, you know, it certainly, <laughs> certainly seems that you are. Well, if, if, if you're asking what my observations are about how to navigate those kinds of things, um, I, I can share a couple and, um, I'm sure there, if I, if I dug deep enough, I could probably find a number of things that may be helpful to listeners. But, um, one, one is that particularly in my church responsibilities and in my um, work responsibilities. I've just found that um, I've got to I've got to raise the leadership around me. Um, it's critical to to have people who are aligned in terms of their mindset, but are different in terms of their thinking. And I and I and I don't think I've nailed that. Mm. Um, I I've got I've got room to grow in terms of that because it's comfortable to find people that think the same as you. Yeah. And um, I know that we'll, as organizations, produce the best results when we've got diversity of thinking. Um, I'm still working on that, but I, I have seen the fruits of those efforts so far. And, um, and you've got to be willing to let people uh, grow and make mistakes. It, it, at Neighborly Ventures, our vision is that we'll develop and operate multifamily housing with an increasing outward mindset for a growing number of people while advancing personal growth. Um, I personally really believe in the power of growth, even though for, for me uh, and for most, it's really uncomfortable. Yeah. And allowing people to grow in your organization, I think, is a critical way of navigating lots of responsibilities. Because if you're personally trying to take on all of their responsibilities in addition to your own, everybody loses. Everybody. Yeah. Um, the people you serve lose. The person you lead loses because they're not growing because you're, you're monopolizing growth by trying to do their, do their job. And you lose because, for example, um, you don't, you're not present with your kids mm -hmm. or your wife or your husband. And I've decided as imperfectly as I do it, I do want to be present with yeah. my wife and my kids. And, and that has meant I've had to trust by necessity. I've had to trust the, the wonderful people surrounding me in these organizations. So is there a, is there a component to, you know, you said um, resisting the, the urge or the, the desire to, to do other people's work. And I know that that's not always you know, taking the reins from them and doing it yourself. But are you, there's, 
I'm sure leaders have that struggle as well, but is there a component to just emotionally taking on what they're supposed to be emotionally taking on or taking on mentally what they're supposed to mentally be taking on, even though you never behaviorally or physically do anything to meddle in their role or what they're supposed to do, but I'm sure it can still have be a distraction and be draining if you take on you know, the, the responsibilities emotionally or mentally. Is that a component as well to it? That's a really interesting insight, Chris. Um, absolutely. I don't know that I've thought a lot about that. Um, I typically, you know, in the business world, we may, we may term what I'm talking about here, what we're talking about is delegation. Mm -hmm. Um, and in delegation, I have to say, I've typically thought of that as tasks, yeah, actions. Um, but you know, just recently I can think of something that is really, um, exemplifies what you're talking about. I have, uh, if you're familiar with what's going on in Oregon right now, uh, we're on the tail end of it, but we've had these wildfires, which, mm. have, you know, last count I saw was a million acres. Uh, and, and interestingly, they were on our North, South, East and West, if you're here in the Valley. Um, and as a part of my church responsibilities, uh, as you mentioned, we have mm -hmm. the, the coastal range in, in the boundary of the area that I lead, um, which includes Lincoln city, Oregon, and they, they were had, evacuated, they right? Were evacuated mm -hmm. right. And I had a real wrestle with what level of emotional investment I should make. And because I have these remarkable people surround, I really do. I have these remarkable leaders that I was able to turn to and they coordinated something better than, I mean, unequivocally better than I would have done if I were hands on gathering the food, gathering the water, arranging its delivery, finding places for people to live. Um, meanwhile, they were evacuated. And, and so I ended up relying heavily on these other wonderful leaders yeah. I'm surrounded by, and they took care of all the tasks. Mm -hmm. And what I found was I was surprised by the peace I was feeling. Mm -hmm. Um, and I almost felt guilty that, well, I should be, I should personally be suffering the same amount <laughs> As, as the people either negatively impacted or, um, or who, who are the ones in the trenches doing a lot of the legwork on this relief effort. Um, and, and I'm still admittedly working through my own thoughts mm -hmm. on this, but I, I do believe we don't necessarily need to take on emotionally. Not just like, and Chris, you're helping me right now with this question. Just like we don't have to take on their tasks, I actually think it could be pretty damaging if we took on emotionally their tasks yeah. as well. So that's a, yeah. that's a great insight. Yeah. I, um, just real quick, it's just something I've thought about, um, you know, a lot just working here at, at Mountain West and, and you, you know, the people that I report to and my leaders, uh, they're, they're you know, leaders to you as well. And, and, you know, when you used to be here at Mountain West, you, you know, you did report directly to them, but people like Jason and, and, and LT, um, something that I've noticed about them that I admire in their leadership is, is that rather than being emotionally invested in my responsibilities, they're emotionally invested in me as a person. Mm -hmm. And that's where their energy goes. It goes towards 
caring about Chris and supporting Chris. And then, and, and I've, I've had to appreciate the fact that they're really successful in what they do because they, they have a discipline to not be emotionally invested in all the things that I'm supposed to be emotionally invested in. And to some degree, they obviously they care about those things, but I, I've always sensed they care more about me. And, and that's where their emotion uh, and, and mental investment goes into Chris rather than what I'm trying to do. And it's helped me be better at what I'm supposed to do. And, and that's just learning that I've had from them. And, 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 it, and when you brought up the wrestle and the, the urge to, and of course you have a lot more people that you are responsible for than I do. So you deal with this wrestle more often every day than, than perhaps I ever do. But that urge is real to, to see something that needs to be done and want to do it. And, you know, you use the term delegation. Um, but I'm, I'm sure that the battle there, the, that battle and that wrestle is the same for many leaders out there, especially leaders of large organizations. And, and so I can't help but wonder, you know, rather than being emotionally invested in, in their job and what they're trying to do, if we shifted our emotional investment into, into the person. Um, and I think that works well with this uh, component of soil and deeply seeing and seeing others um, and not focus so much on seeing their tasks and their responsibilities, but seeing them, uh, I think, will enable them and empower them to be, you know, the person and the best version of themselves. So, yeah. And, and I think if we if we take that a step further and think about operationalizing what we mean by soil, soil is about people. So when we say seeing people and deeply seeing people, you have to have people around you in the first place. Yeah. And I think one of the key traits of successful leadership, I want to say, is seeing people, recognizing people, and most importantly, developing leaders. So we have a, this is something that Chris and I have talked about before, and we've mentioned in, in other podcasts that one of our primary responsibilities is to build leaders. And we do that with intentionality. We do it with purpose. But most importantly, we create an environment, hence soil, that allows people to lead and to grow and to develop. Uh, I'm really intrigued by this because, um, especially when, when we were talking about the emotional work, uh, because as leaders, we get invested in the people that we are responsible for, if you will. We take that responsibility on very seriously. We want them to be successful. We want to resolve any personal or technical or professional problems that, that they may have. We feel that's our duty of care towards them. But sometimes unintentionally, we end up limiting them. We end up um, diminishing their capacity to lead in complex or challenging situations. Uh, in education, we experience that actually through um, educators taking on the burden of their students. And through this empathy with the student, we actually diminish the opportunities that we want to afford them because we think they have enough challenges. We don't want to present them with more challenges. I think the same is true in a, in a leadership context. So um, I have to share with you this, this phrase that a friend of mine and who used to also be my boss used to say about some of our coworkers, especially when we got into, um, into a weeds situation where there's a lot of conflict mm -hmm. or a lot of tension. She would say about one of her colleagues that they need to do their own work first. They have to do the work. And for the longest time, I looked at that from a technical point of view, like, you know, what, what skill set do they need to have? Um, what technical expertise do they need to have in order to solve this problem? But what she was referring to is that personal struggle. 
that they have to figure out what type of a leader they are. And most importantly, and this is what you alluded to earlier, Brian, they have to figure out how they want to lead, what's important to them, what do they value the most, what is absolutely uh, essential, not just for them to be successful, but for everybody around them to be successful and their role in it. So the whole notion of purpose and intentionality that you talked about are really essential to this framework of rooted leadership. And that's where where the soil work uh, happens. But I want to come back to something that you mentioned earlier, and that is systems. So you talked about the personal investment on your part as a leader, how you see people, how you uh, don't want to take on their emotional burden. You have to let them work through that themselves because that builds their capacity. But can you talk about systems that can be put in place that you have put in place in your organization and other, other settings that you operate in that promote the sense of, of trust, empowerment, um, letting people you know, try new things, not be afraid to fail. So what do these systems look like, especially as we talk about the rooted leadership framework in this context of soil, seeds, and weeds? Uh, happy, happy to share uh, my experience and, and our organization experience on that. If I could, before addressing that, there's just one more thing I'd like to say as it relates to um, cultivating leaders. Mm-hmm. Um, I have personally found that some of the greatest joy as a leader comes from helping people grow uh, around me. Yeah, and um, I just want to point out that that's not just a good a good business approach or organizational behavior approach. I think it is. I, I think if you want your organization to be successful, you better be doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also just want to point out that it's remarkably rewarding. Um, having an opportunity to to influence people for good um, is a great blessing. Yeah. And, and it's a blessing to everybody who, who's involved in it, not just the person who's uplifted, uh, maybe we'll, we'll say the person being led, but also the leader. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I'll say that um, one of the greatest temptations personally that I've found, I don't think this is, I don't think everybody experiences this same temptation. I think many do is the need to be seen as a good leader as opposed to just being a good leader. Yeah. Um, that, that has been a wrestle for me at times because I want to deliver on the expectations of me, whether it's the expectations from the people I lead or, or an investor. Um, and, and I'll just point out the times when I make the most mistakes are when I get distracted from just trying to be a good leader instead of um, protecting an image of good leadership. Um, so uh, I, I don't know why, but I just felt to emphasize, emphasize that. As, as far as it goes on systems, um, in our organization, uh, I don't mean for this to be a, a plug for Arbinger Institute, um, but the truth is uh, they deserve a lot of credit for this. We, we have adopted in terms of a system 3A plus accountability. And what that does is it, it measures um, performance in the organization based on capability, impact, and effort. 
and uh, in a really simple way. So it's not excessively complicated. And I, and I do think we can, when it comes to systems, it's possible to make them overly bureaucratic mm-hmm. um, and overcomplicated. Uh, I like this one because it, it is fairly simple. Um, but it really hinges on outward mindset. It hinges on seeing people and deeply seeing them um, and having their wants and needs and desires be as important to you as your own. And uh, so we use that and we have what we call um, monthly self-accountability self meetings. That's another principle that matters a lot to us is that people aren't held accountable, but feel accountability toward a common purpose. Um, and I love in one of our recent conversations, if we succeed in doing that, and we, we got a lot of ways to go on this, to be clear, but if we succeed, people will be more focused on purpose over protocols. Yeah. And that's really important because the opportunities to make decisions with discretion uh, and when and many of those decisions have so many far ranging impacts on people, if we're not deeply seeing people, then we're going to have negative impacts, especially if we're more focused on the rigidity of a system as opposed to the common purpose we're trying to achieve. So that's a that's a little bit of a package of a system. Salam, and I, I hope that's helpful. In terms uh, absolutely. Of it's, uh, it's, it's a routinized, standardized way of engagement and behavior that sets expectations for, for everyone. You know, culture and environment are also big parts of the rooted leadership framework. And those are uh, founded on this, on this idea of being outward. Uh, how do you cultivate a culture and an environment? Uh, you touched on that earlier by making a decision early on as a leader that this is the way I want to lead. This is the way I want my leadership to manifest itself in any setting that I'm in. But how do you build that in an organization of 70 plus people? And how do you get it to really trickle down? So whether it's the CEO or the highest executive or the person that's working in the apartment complex uh, doing maintenance work, see begin to recognize that their work is also soil work, so to speak. That, that is the question of the day, Salam. I really appreciate you asking that because, um, and you're helping me see some, some other systems for us. Um, first of all, uh, you better have a vision and, and everybody better understand that vision. And if you want, for example, well-cultivated soil of seeing people, it, that better be a part of the vision. And, um, or at least we feel that, that it should be. So make that clear. And, and interestingly, I am right in the middle as a leader of seeing that I haven't done a good enough job about that, uh, getting that water to the proverbial ends of the rows. We'll say, uh, we really don't see our organization as top down, but with just layers. And what you're saying is how do you get it through all of the layers? And, um, that is, uh, I believe, will be the difference between whether or not our organization succeeds. And systematically, what that means is from the moment we are finding candidates to work in the organization, the interview questions touch on how does this person see people? What is, what is their soil like? So the questions mm-hmm. we ask in interviews, they're somewhat standardized. 
and they're going to focus less on skills and aptitudes uh, and, and experience and more on how does this person see people? Yeah. And what we have found is that somebody may come into our organization with years of experience in the subject matter that we deal with. But if they, if they don't have any inclinations to see people deeply, have that really rich soil, we'll probably fail. They'll probably fail. They'll probably get uncomfortable in our organization. Yeah. And then on an ongoing basis... Shortly after the day they're hired, we put them through a crash course on we have somebody specifically designated in our human resources department who teaches principles of seeing people and deeply seeing people and recognizing your impacts on them. And then um, we're working on uh, improving our systems, but we do have systems that we on an ongoing basis, we, in our regular at corporate level during, in our staff meetings, we take half the staff meeting and work on an element of how we're seeing people. Um, and then at the, at the, we'll call them the offsite, we call them onsite teams, the people who are managing all the communities outside of corporate, we have regular, uh, I think right now they're biweekly and it's been harder with COVID and the, the restriction meeting restrictions, but we still sought to do them where, we have we call them outward mindset gatherings, OMGs, and uh, and we we continue to teach and train. I, I want to be clear though that as much as I, I like these systems and I feel like they're they're what are going to take us to the right place. This is a journey, uh, and I don't think you arrive on this one. Um, and I love that. That can be really uncomfortable for people. That many of us, and me included, we, we want to arrive. We, we want to get to that place where I'm just, I've got this content down. Yeah. Um, I don't believe, uh, I don't believe I'll ever be comfortable with that. Um, and I, and I know, I, I hope our organization isn't comfortable with that and that we, we are constantly pursuing. That's why the vision says increasing outward mindset. No, that's, I mean, that's really important. You know, when the idea of soil that we talk about in, in, in groundwork in our leadership institute is that it, it's not a, I mean, there's no checklist to it. I mean, there's no end to it. We're always cultivating soil, <laughs> always. And, and, uh, and I think that that's one of the main roles of, of a leader. We're the stewards of our soil. We have the responsibility to make sure that it stays healthy. And some are burdened with entering an organization or a community where it's full of weeds and say, and they have their work cut out for them. Others, you know, they get to build something from the, from the ground up and, and start fresh. And then the rest of us are somewhere in between, but the soil is our, we are the stewards of it. And, and from the very moment we hire somebody, like you mentioned, it's our job to make sure that we're contributing to our soil in a healthy way to the point where we have a conflict that's going on somewhere in our organization that we don't pawn it off on someone. It's our job to, to, to ensure that we might be delegating certain tasks at it, but you know, it's our soil and it's our job to, to make sure that, um, you know, we're getting to the root of those weeds. And the system is why I appreciate the question of Salam with systems is, is at the bigger and bigger our organizations become, or the more complex, uh, our work is the, these, as Arbinger would say, these outward systems are so important or these systems that are, that are cultivating the soil um, are just are crucial. It's it's beyond 
inner, you know, face-to-face interactions, interpersonal relationships. When we have an organization and people who are responsible for building these these systems that cultivate our soil is is imperative. And and I think that we we obviously need to think that way as as leaders. And and so I appreciate the the conversation. If I may ask one more question, and uh, and you don't have to answer this question if it's uncomfortable, but I think it is something that we over we tend to overlook. I want to say. Or sometimes we intentionally try to create a separation between uh, being a manager and a leader in the workplace and then not necessarily being a different person, but perhaps being guided by your true values and beliefs and principles in your private life, in your family life, in, in church, etc., so I just I'm I'm curious and I admire your leadership because you bring everything to bear when you're trying to lead when you're trying to to manage uh, a highly complex organization trying to manage the needs of seventy plus employees mm-hmm. staff members um, how important is it for us to get comfortable with bringing who we are to leadership bringing our faith our culture, our beliefs, our values, recognizing that we have to operate sometimes within a, a constrained environment, depending on whether it's a private sector, public sector, et cetera. But how have that guided your leadership? And I, and I always want to bring it back to this context of soil seeds and weeds, because we are the soil. The people and the way we see people is truly the essence yeah. of the soil. And I can't be one person in the workplace and another person at home. Yes, there is that separation. Yeah. But we are the embodiment of many things. So I'm, I'm kind of curious about how you managed and facilitated that for yourself and leadership, um, you know, at, at Neighborly Ventures and everything that you've done up to this point, if, you, if you're comfortable talking about that, Brian. I am comfortable. I am comfortable talking about that, Salam. In fact, I'm I'm grateful. I'm really grateful for that question. Um, and it's a, it it's it's something I think about actually pretty frequently. Um, I've, I've jotted just a couple of notes, and I don't know that these are necessarily going to connect cleanly to one another. But one thought that comes to me is um, as we think about the way we see people, um, what I have found that one of the the dangers of outward mindset principles and Mm -hmm. soil soil principles of seeing people. And and I think that's a good thing about the soil seeds and weeds framework is that it can be less um, manipulated outward mindset as, as an idea and as a concept um, taught by Arbinder Institute got to be really careful because it can be seen as one more management tool or as a seed, we'll Mm -hmm. say. And from our perspective, this is not a seed. This is the soil. Mm -hmm. There are lots of seeds. And um, uh, for example, um, Multipliers is a book uh, Mm -hmm. in the business world been pretty popular by by Elizabeth Wiseman, and and I have been studying that. And I think that's a fantastic seed. Uh, I really believe in it personally, and and I wanna be that kind of multiplier leader use the word diminishing your people. Yeah. Uh, that's, a, that's a risk. I do not want to be a diminisher, right? 
I, I see that more as a seed. The soil is is how I see people and an outward mindset. And we have found in trying to systematize outward mindset is that it can be viewed as a tool. Yeah. Kind of like I pick up when it's time to use yeah. that tool. Oh, now we better be outward. Oh, here's the moment where I'm supposed <laughs> yeah. to be outward, right? Mm-hmm. Or all right, this is the time when I, I work on being outward. Which is usually when there's some sort of conflict or some sort of, you know, need for intervention is required that all of a sudden we better put on the outward mindset hat. Yeah. It's yeah. never too late for outward mindset, but yeah. sometimes it's too late. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, right. So uh, what we, uh, we, we've kind of used this analogy. We, we don't see it as the tool. We see it as the tool belt. Every tool you use, you've, you've got to pull from your outward mindset belt. Everything you do mm-hmm. has to start with your soil. So that's just another variation on soil seeds and weeds, but every seed you try has to be your soil. So to the extent that we're talking about being the same person, whether I'm at work, whether I am with my children at home, whether I am speaking to a congregation on Sunday, um, outward mindset demands that it's not something you like a jacket you take off when mm-hmm. you, when you walk out the door of work. It demands that it's how you see people. And personally, it's impossible to talk about this subject without acknowledging that for me, my faith in God is what pushes me to want to, to be outward, to yeah. want soil that is, is strong because my very personally held sacred belief, and for me, a truth is that every person who walks this planet is his son or daughter. Every person. If that's true, that means they're all my siblings. <laughs> and I'm, I would be committed to, to wanting to see, therefore, not only the humanity, but the divinity yeah. inside every person. Their DNA mm-hmm. is the same as mine, not just by what they look like, by how they behave, but because of their existence. And so I feel spiritually compelled to see them as people. Um, yeah. uh, and, and so I don't talk spiritually when I'm at work, but my behaviors are motivated by that understanding and, and belief and, and, uh, and therefore, boy, I, I sure hope, but I, I absolutely see yeah. constantly the dangers in my own life of being a different guy at home because it's safer there, right? Those kids have to be my kids and they have to live <laughs> yeah. in my house no matter how I behave. Yeah. <laughs> the people at work, if I'm, if I'm a jerk, well, you know, bad things will happen, mm-hmm. which is really ironic because... Those people who live in my house with me should be getting the most outward version of Brian. Yeah. And I will say that the deeper my commitment has gone, even on a professional basis, to having rich soil of seeing people has done nothing but strengthen my commitment at home to being a better husband and father. And I will tell you, that's, that for me personally is one of the great blessings of making this 
the, the focus of our organization is because I know the same thing can happen for every person in my organization professionally when they go home at night. Yeah. And that's, that's what I want. I don't want to just develop and manage real estate. I want the people who work with me to be able to go home and be better people with their loved ones. Yeah. And when they go to church or they go to their nonprofit, I want them to be better people. And I feel like um, soil, seeds and weeds and an outward mindset is 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 fantastic way to do that. Yeah, um, I love everything you just shared. A lot of nuggets there. And, and I want to highlight a, a couple of them. One is uh, just a reminder. We're always, you know, we talk about seeing people and, and you know, anyone who knows anyone who's really gotten into the content knows that we're not talking about being soft and fluffy. And you mentioned this a couple of times earlier, a lot of times that seeing people requires the hard thing to do, the quote unquote dangerous thing to do. Um, and, and so, you know, I, I never want uh, our conversations around seeing people as people to listeners to feel like we're talking about being soft and fluffy. That was one thing uh, I want to, I want to point out. And, and uh, a couple of other things, you know, you, you're, you've talked a lot about you know, your purpose that is, that extends far beyond your, your work life. And, uh, that's actually part of our, you know, our curriculum. When we get to this deepest level in the soil, you know, it's three levels, accountability, see people deeply see, you know, we talk about what are characteristics, what do people that deeply see do? And we have those four steps. And the first one is be rooted in. And, and what we really mean by that is know your why and our why should it, should, exceed where we work, where we live, you know, who surrounds us, who we're in relationship with. It should be the same whether we are doing real estate or we're an accountant or we're an attorney or we are uh, in education or we are in the nonprofit world or we're in law enforcement. Our why should should transcend all of those things. And and what you're explaining to what you're explaining to us is you're telling us a little bit about your why and your purpose. And there's just a higher element to it for you personally, um, that you're not imposing and making other people believe, but it's your purpose. And I think that's so important in leadership. And that's why we have it in this deeply see section is people that are able to deeply see at a consistent basis. They know their why they're rooted into it and it doesn't matter their life circumstance. They're going to stick to their why. And, uh, that leads me to the other point that you've, you've talked about. You didn't say these words, but this is what I kept thinking of is when we're not seeing people as people, what is the alternative? <laughs> you know, it's, which, this goes to the fact that it's not a it's not a seed that you plant like, oh, time to put on my outward mindset or seeing people hat. You know, if we're not intentionally seeing people, there's no gray area. There's no in between. We're we're just not seeing them. As Arbinger would say, they become objects to us. They become less real than we are. And so the intentionality behind seeing people is is imperative because if we're not seeing people, we're we're seeing objects. And and I also love the paradox that the the very moment that we realize that we're not seeing people is when we start to see people, you know, the very moment that I realize I'm not being the best version of myself is the very moment I start to be a better version of myself. And that the paradoxes there are, are always uh, really powerful learning for me. So uh, I just wanted to point out some of those things that I'm learning um, as you're, or just affirmations that I'm feeling as you are, are talking. Yeah. Um, I don't want to ever cut us off in great conversation, but we're, we're 
coming to the end of, of our allotted time, but I do want to get into some of these leadership specific questions that we, you know, that we sent you. And one that I always like to ask, just because you never know where, where it'll take us, but uh, I'm really curious on who has been in your life, you know, examples of leadership, uh, you know, great leaders that you've had in your life that you admire, that you aspire to be like, um, that, that you've had, whether it's been a, a family member or, you know, previous um, boss or, or whatever the case may be. I'm just curious to, to hear Brian's, uh, you know, thoughts on that. Well, um, there's, there's the, the people who I've personally interacted with and, and those who I've not had personal interactions with, but have observed, um, and, and wanted to, um, live like, um, you know, I think about the, the people personally, and of course, at any time of your life, they're different, mm-hmm. uh, depending on on where you are. Um, in the last decade, uh, I've mentioned them a couple of times, and it, it would be I'd have to say it again: Larry and Jason Tokarski, uh, for different reasons. Um, Larry has demonstrated to me outward mindset in the way that um, he, he's so uh, generous with his time and resources. And exemplifies the um, the not soft way of being outward, and and somebody could misinterpret that uh, I think very easily. But I, I really agree with what you said, Chris. And I, I want to be clear that um, being outward does not mean soft behaviors. And he has mastered seeing people, in my opinion, and and yet not he's not af- he's not afraid of what people think of him. Mm-hmm. He does things because he feels like it's the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, he definitely has a higher purpose that he strongly believes in. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And um, so, and he doesn't get distracted from that. Uh, he doesn't let people's expectations of him distract him from that. Uh, I really, really admire that. And I, I've learned a lot from it. And I, I, I know I've got a long way to go to implement it, but that's been fantastic. Um, I, um, from, from afar, uh, this is not going to be somebody that, that, uh, a lot of people know probably, but, um, it's who comes to mind and his name is Russell M. Nelson. And he's a, he's a, he's a former heart surgeon who was a pioneer in the heart lung machine, machine creation. And, um, was relentless in his pursuit of finding ways to help people. And you probably, probably most people don't even know who he is. He happens to be the, 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 the president of our church at this time and, and, and prophet, but, but um, his balance of loving people um, while uh, aggressively pursuing um, needed outcomes, mm-hmm is something I really aspire to. Um, and it's a lot actually like Larry in terms of just seeing, having a really clear vision of where you want to go and taking necessary actions, even, even, um, very innovative actions, uh, breaking a lot of the ironclad assumptions that often limit us um, as humans from, from doing new and greater and better things mm-hmm. just because it's, well, it's always been done that way. Yeah. And, and I don't, one of my weaknesses I feel like is innovation actually. 
And, uh, and so people who are strong in that way, I, I really aspire to be like, while also I've also known of some great innovators who could care less about people. Mm-hmm. And that's not a compromise I'm willing to make. And so people who have found the balance of having this vision for, for an outcome, pursuing it while also loving the people around them and impacted by their actions. That's, that's great leadership for me. That's awesome. Thank you. I love, I love that question because I never, you know, you learn a little bit more about um, people when, when we ask it and, and you know, who they, who they've looked to and learned from. And so I appreciate that. uh, Salam, you have any, I have a, one more question I want to ask, but do you have any, anything that's on your mind before we, we start to conclude this episode? I just find all of this fascinating and uh, I find it real. And, and this is really what I appreciate and I admire about you and your leadership. So I just wish we had time. And uh, with that, I'm just going to let you ask your, your question and perhaps there will be other opportunities to conclude, to uh, continue this conversation. When people are, are real and authentic and ever since meeting you, um, that's been one of the, the things that stick out to me is you're real and authentic and, and you, you share and speak and say what you feel. Um, obviously, I'm, I know there's a filter in your mind. You're not going to say anything that's going to be hurtful or, or not need to be said, but, but you're just real and authentic. And I've always appreciated that. So I second that uh, observation today, Salam. Uh, as a final question, again, this is a fun one, but I think that it's really helpful to any any listeners and any leaders that we have uh, tuning in just to hear from from a, another everyday leader in our community. And it's what would you share? I mean, if you had the stage uh, of a for a group of leaders to tell them something of what you feel is the most important aspect of leadership in a in a few sentences, what would you say? And you've I, my guess is you've probably addressed a lot of this yeah, today in our yeah, conversation, but I, I how feel, would, how would you ca- capture it all in, in an organized paragraph? <laughs> uh, yeah, definitely feel like I've covered that ground. Um, <laughs> but to succinctly state it, I genuinely believe that any organization will achieve its purpose on a far more efficient and effective basis. If they invest the energy and time in seeing people as people starting with the people inside their organization, but then looking well beyond to the people outside their organization who they impact. Um, and, and I'm, as a leader, I have had to really evaluate, do I really believe that? Because we are, Jason and I, uh, uh, while I'm the CEO today, he was you know earlier this year and we spent a lot of time leading together, but we've put our bet, we've placed our bets and it's, and it's on. Um, that seeing people will make the biggest difference in achieving what we want and need to achieve. It's, this is not just a feel-good tool. Um, it's not a tool at all. It's the tool belt. And um, I have, after some significant introspection, concluded, yes, I really do believe that every problem to be solved, every job to be done, will be done better and solved better if the organization is committed to and growing in their outward mindset. The soil work, you know, as uh, 
someone we all work with, Drew, who's been on an episode, he's always reiterating with enthusiasm, we got to work the soil, baby. We got to work the soil. We got to till the soil. Uh, and I love that reminder because um, it's a simple analogy to remember. But I mean, that's uh, like you said, where I, I believe our success and even competitive advantage lies is is our ability to effectively cultivate the soil, which results in our ability to effectively take others into account and see them as people. Um, so I, I appreciate that. And again, uh, I appreciate you. I appreciate Salam and and us taking the time to be together today. Um, it's. It, I hope that we can have another occasion to have you know Brian part two. On, on here. I hope. I hope that's not because I talked too much. <laughs> that we need a part two. <laughs> it very well could be, and I apologize if so. No, we uh, we appreciate. I mean, this is the the purpose of why we started this, and why we. I always emphasize this at the beginning of each episode, but we we. We're, we're trying to call ourselves an institute, and we are calling ourselves an institute because we want to gather as much knowledge and information as we can. And I feel like you've greatly contributed to that um, house of knowledge that we're slowly trying to create, and and I appreciate it. And from a personal standpoint, I appreciate you and, you know, and love you like a brother, and I appreciate you took the time today to come in. I know you're busy. Well, I, I'm genuinely appreciative of the opportunity. To, to contribute whatever for whatever value it is. And I'm just really grateful for what you guys are doing. Okay, it's difficult to overstate that, but I am deeply, deeply grateful. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you, Brian. Salam, any final words to, the, to anybody listening and tuning in today? I'm just amazed. I've lived in this community for 23 years. And, um, and I don't know if we actually have this on on tape if we recorded this uh, but we were having a conversation before starting this uh, this podcast and Brian was sharing that he wishes that every community mm. or at least one city in one state across the country has something similar to this and I'll I'll go back to what you shared with us and and Chris actually led our conversation with this phrase and that is ordinary people can facilitate significant things that's what it takes. It takes ordinary people that are not afraid to lead. They're not afraid to see the bigger picture. They're not afraid to push themselves and push others around them to be better and get better. But uh, I am grateful to be living in, a, in one of those cities. Maybe it's a leading city that's starting this work. And I'm grateful to have benefited from your vision and Jason's vision and courage to bring something that you really didn't know was going to work. But you've tilled the soil. I mean, that's really what you have done. You've tilled the soil of this community. And now, technically, we could say we're the seeds. You know, we're, mm -hmm. we're, start, we're, we're starting something that's evolving, that's growing. But it's only going to be successful through contributions and leaders like you and contribution like yours. And I appreciated your attention to the fact that this is not a one and done. This is ongoing, continuous work. Because when you tell the soil uh, and you cultivate the soil, it's not just for us, it's for others and those that come after us. And, and it needs to benefit the broader community. Um, and, and Chris and I were talking the other day about our brand. You know, we think of grand work are, is our brand, but our brand is really the community. Mm -hmm. This is what, why we do this work. It's for the community. And I'm just grateful for leaders like you that not only understand and internalize this work at a very deep level, 
but you're doing it and you're modeling it. And most importantly, you really want to measure your success. You're holding yourself accountable for results. And we didn't really, uh, that's why I would love to have another session where we talk about results because ultimately you're a business. Mm-hmm. So how is this really contributing bottom to line, results still to the bottom, bottom line? line. Mm-hmm. And I would love for us to have another opportunity to talk about it in a business context. So how does seeing people really help your business be successful? So yeah. I'm just grateful to have been a part of this conversation and, and thank you for, uh, for everything that you do. Oh, thank you, Salam. You guys have been very kind and gracious and I really do. Uh, I don't think we, we, this, I think it was before we were recording where I, I, I really would love to see uh, uh, a groundwork leadership institute in in every state, and I and I think it can be because if if two guys on a plane um, coming home from uh, a workshop in Farmington, Utah, who who really don't fancy themselves as as groundbreaking leaders, but just people committed to a particular why. And I've, I've gone over my why uh, two or three times in this time together. And I trust that people will understand I'm, I'm not proselyting. I am, I'm just expressing my purpose and, and how it drives me. And I understand that many people have lots of different purposes, lots of different whys. Um, and to the point you were making, Chris, um, when you find that, that really significant motivating why for you, um, I, I, I think that's all it really takes and, and a willingness, uh, a willingness to act on it mm-hmm. and, and a willingness to be outward, um, and see people, um, then yeah, ordinary people end up doing extraordinary things. And I'm, I'm reluctant to say that because I don't, um, I don't consider myself as having done anything extraordinary. <laughs> um, but I am. Uh, I am grateful for the extraordinary things that have happened and they are, they're really extraordinary. They're beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and if you had time to talk to all of the two to 3000 people now in this community in, in three years or so who have received the benefit of this material, they would share their own personal stories. Yeah. Any one story of which would be moving yeah. and extraordinary. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, I really do, I really do believe that uh, with, with the will, um, great things that are happening here could happen everywhere. And I, I look forward to it happening. Yeah. I've been calling it lately, you know, when we know our purpose, we take it to the extreme. It becomes our extreme purpose. And uh, we should be extremists in fulfilling our purpose, you know. Um, so uh, again, uh, appreciate everybody tuning in. I appreciate our guests today. And, and of course, Salam, our, our co-host, for, for joining for this episode. Uh, be safe out there. Take care. And until next time, uh, we'll see you later.